Kia ora. Welcome to this edition of the Morrisville Baptist Church Podcast. Thank you for connecting with us to discover more about our faith community. Feel free to visit our website at morrisvillebaptist.com. I hope this message is an encouragement to you. Well, good evening, everyone. It's uh, good to see you all tonight. And I uh, hope you enjoyed uh, long weekend, last weekend. Um, we just had a break from, from the series. It's good to be uh, back again and just picking up um, from where we left off. We'll do a um, just a quick recap um, from last week, from last time, and um, see if you can remember what. Okay. Who would like to open in prayer? Anyone wants to open in prayer? Our merciful Heavenly Father, Lord, how wonderful is your word, how wonderful is your name, and you are from everlasting to everlasting. Lord, as we, as a congregation, gather here tonight, we just ask that you will feed us from your word, Lord. We are hungry for your word, and therefore we pray that you will bless Richard's um, preparation for this, and that he will feed us from your table. Let every word that has been spoken here tonight, Lord, that will fall under the authority of the Holy Spirit. Now we want to say, come Holy Spirit and have your way. Lead us and teach us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Vic. Well, I think as most of you know, we're just looking at the um, big picture, the big theme of, of the Bible. And so um, we started in uh, Genesis. And now, after having looked at Moses and the Exodus last time around, we're just picking up with the entry into the promised land and we've been looking um, at God's kingdom throughout all of this and that's just one of the key themes of the Bible. Um, and just a recap, I think most of you will have seen this, one of the key reasons for running this is just to encourage people to be confident in the whole Bible story, to know the Father, Son and the Spirit, uh, understanding how to read scripture, that will come out more and more when we look into it, how we apply it to our lives and just better talk to others about it and just answering people's questions. And so at some point we might do some apologetics at some point in the future, but then obviously we want to really grasp that big story first and it's just a good um, thing to do. Yeah, it's important to all of us. Just from two weeks ago, we talked about um, the Exodus and Moses and um, this, this, this theme of a covenant God has made with Abraham as part of his redemption plan. And can you remember the line of the blessing that we were talking about last time around? With Abraham, and who is his descendants? Isaac and Jacob. Yeah, Isaac and Jacob. That's right. And that was... Um, God's specific plan, wasn't it? Because Abraham had a good solution. It was Ishmael, his son with, with Hagar, and said that, and God said, that's not my plan. And so there's a supernatural birth of Isaac. And that line comes through Jacob, and Jacob becomes Israel, and God's promises run through. And uh, again, there's this echo of a blessing to Abraham's descendants, and also a blessing to the world, where he, God tells Jacob, Israel, uh, from you will come a, a community, a nation, and a community of nations. And that's part of God's wider plan. And it's right there, all from the, the beginning. And God gives um, 
that gives that promise of the blessing of the land, which is uh, we're looking at uh, more tonight. And uh, what did God promise the Israelites? What was He going to give them? Promised land. Promised land. That's right. And that. Uh, what else? Many descendants. Many descendants. Yeah. And blessing. Yes, that's right, and so that's right. So that was really important. And when they were rescued out of Egypt, did, did salvation or their rescue, deliverance, did that come before or after that they were given the law? That's right. You know, it came and God rescued them first. And so the kind of story we we see here is obviously from the fall. We had the garden at the beginning, God's blessing uh, there, the fall, and then God's plan through Abraham then to. Um, uh, begin the process of redemption and so we've been touching on that promise to Abraham we've looked at the Exodus and uh, last time we touched on about giving the law of Moses and also about the tabernacle and God's presence being with the people through covenant and so um, that's the story we're up to uh, at the moment and just a reminder again just recap from last week who's this story really about God, yeah. And this is God's story. And so uh, God uses people, and he used Moses mightily. But God is still the main character in all of these events. And that's really important, because the Bible is actually about God and what's important to him and what he wants us to know. And so um, it does that. And I guess part of this, this covenant God makes with, with Moses wasn't the same was a separate covenant from the one God made with Abraham, which was unconditional. And uh, God says, if you obey me, you can be blessed, isn't he? And so he wants them to put him on display. God wants these rights to put him on display. And he's going to have their presence with him. And that was a sign of the tabernacle, or the light over the tabernacle, is that they're going to be marked out as a special nation, having God's presence with them. And... Um, that was a promise just to the Israel, nation of Israel. It wasn't to any other nation. And we remember that, but that was a specific covenant. And so when we think about the Bible, we need to think about who, when we look at a promise in the Bible, who is this being made to? And that's really important. That we can't claim every single promise in the Bible because not all of them are speaking to us. And that's why as we go through, we'll be picking up on those things more and more. And... Um, can you remember what the essence of Leviticus was? We remember the book of Leviticus? Everyone said it was their favourite book, didn't they, last time? I remember everyone said they couldn't, couldn't stop enjoying it. Couldn't put it down. Yeah. Can you remember the essence of it? God's character. God's character, which is... Order. Hmm? Order. Yeah, there's a lot of order regulations in there, wasn't there? Why were they needed? Because God is holy, that's right. And so we said that it speaks more in the first person of God than any other book in the Bible, in Leviticus. And so God is holy. And this is where we get to love your neighbour from. It comes from the book of Leviticus, which is carried through one of the, the key commandments. So really important there. And um, why the Bible is so important is um, that phrase here at the bottom, the old is 
in, in the new revealed and the new is in the old concealed because God's story is also intertwined, isn't it? And that's why it's really important that we, we grasp the whole thing because God doesn't change. And uh, how he deals with us can change through different covenants, but he's a still the same God. And so I think we finished off just talking about the kingdom of God was uh, one of the catch cries of God's covenant is, I will walk among you, I will be your God, and you will be my people. That came through in, in Exodus, and it comes through those first books of the Bible, and God starts his redemption plan. And so we see God's people at this time being uh, Abraham's descendants. They're in God's place now, they're just about to move into the promised land. And God's uh, rule and blessing will be bringing blessings to the people of Israel. And so um, that's where we're on the verge of this now, uh, of, of coming in, in into this part of the story. I think that's about it. And so, uh, and so the, where we're picking up tonight is obviously these rites have come out of, come out of Egypt. And their first stop is, is where, when they come out? Mount Sinai, that's correct. And um, again, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and to give you the land of Canaan to be your God. And so this is where we're heading with the whole story. And do you think God chose the people of Israel because they were so special as a people that they were superior to other people? Hmm? No. Because um, if we read, if someone want to read just Deuteronomy uh, chapter seven, verses seven to eight, perhaps someone could read that. And then if there's another volunteer, someone else could read from chapter nine, verses four to six afterwards. Who wants to do chapter seven? Yeah, chapter seven, seven and eight. The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other nations, for you were the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you, and he was keeping the oath he had sworn to your ancestors. That is why the Lord rescued you with such a strong hand from your slavery and from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Thanks, Karen. And would someone like to read that chapter 9, verses 4 to 6? After the Lord your God has done this for you, don't say in your hearts, the Lord has given us this land because we are such good people. No, it is because of the wickedness of the other nations that he is, he is pushing them out of your way. It is not because you are so good or have such integrity that you are about to occupy their land. The Lord your God will drive these nations out ahead of you only because of their wickedness, and to fulfill the oath he has sworn to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You must recognize that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land because you are good, for you are not. You are a stubborn people. Yeah. Does that inspire the Israelites with confidence? <laughs> Yeah. And so why why did God choose them? <laughs> he loved them. That's right. And because of his promise to Abraham. That's right. And so that's why God is doing it. And so 
he's saying he's actually choosing one of the weakest peoples, isn't he? Because they have to rely on who? On him, that's right. So God is um, picking them. So, you know, they're not, he hasn't chosen them because they're special. They're actually special because God chose them through descendants. There's a big difference in that. And so God takes them out. They go down Mount Sinai. And from there, it wasn't really that far from Mount Sinai to get into the promised land. But it's not going to be that easy for them, is it? If you know the story. The book of Numbers is a bit of a funny name, isn't it? You know, it starts off some numbers at the beginning. Does anyone know what, what the book of Numbers uh, is called in Hebrew? What was that, Catherine? I looked that up the other day. You did? Yeah. <laughs> Bermidba. Yeah, Bermidba, which means in the wilderness. That probably makes a bit more sense, doesn't it, than, than numbers? <laughs> because there's a lot of counting going on there. So they're actually going to spend a bit of time in the wilderness. And do most of you know the story of why they get stuck in the wilderness for 40 years? Yes. Yeah. They didn't do a very good job, did they, of, of trusting in God. The spies go off to look in the land of Canaan. They come back and say, these people are giants, grasshoppers, and we look so small in their, in their sight. And only two people say, hey, we can do it. Which yeah, yeah, Caleb and Joshua. And that's right. So God says, you two can go into the promised land, but anyone over 20 is not going to make it. And so, um, real challenge in the book of Numbers. What do you think upset God or angered God the most about them? And if you've read the book of Numbers, there was something the Israelites kept doing that angered God quite a bit. That's there. That's right. They like that faith. And what was that, Vic? They kept complaining. They kept complaining. That's right. They were grumbling, and you find that in in certain passages, is God says they kept grumbling, ungrateful. God had done this amazing miracle. He had uh, he had neutralized the greatest power of its age, Egypt, taken them through the Dead Sea, and um, they were grumbling. And so God uh, got impatient with them. And then they were saying, we can't do this now. We can't take the land of Canaan. It's just all too hard. So God says, well, hey, you're gonna, your, your generation is going to stay out. And the next generation can come into the promised land. And so, uh, yeah, what should have been just a very short journey from Mount Sinai into the promised land would take 40 years in the desert. That's pretty hard out there. I don't know if... Uh, Anyone of you have been into like a desert place? You know, it can get pretty hot here sometimes, can't it, in the summertime? You know, if you're not in the shade. And out there, it would have, um, it would be impossible to survive all those people without God's provision. And so, um, so we've talked about this. God has made a covenant of service with them. You be my people, I'll be your God. And um, if you obey me fully, I'm going to make you the most blessed people in the world to show what I'm like. But if you don't, there are going to be some consequences. And so this covenant God makes with Moses, we call it the Mosaic Covenant, it's quite different from the Abrahamic Covenant because God says, I'm going to bless you if you behave this way. 
and recognize I'm holy, who I am. If you don't, these are the consequences. And so Moses takes the people, will you do this? And what do the people say? Yep, we'll do that. And so they have this covenant. And then after this 40 years, gone, new generation, same thing happens. God says, do you want to do this? Because God is a covenant-making God. And all his relationships come under a covenant because God's committed. And so um, uh, we have them, God had said to them that when you get into the promised land, when you go to a place, in, we call it Samaria, in the West Bank today, Shechem was a place where Jacob was, and there were two mountains there. And God had told, told them, you go to these two mountains, you can see they're actually really close together. It's almost like an amphitheater there, so the noise travels. And Joshua takes them in, because Israel, uh, Moses didn't get into the Promised Land either, because he got frustrated with a grumbling people. And imagine if you, know, if you had two million people who were grumbling every day, how would you respond? Be tested, wouldn't we? Can you imagine that? Sometimes you can get just challenges in, in our own families and, and, and friends, we can have that. Imagine two, many, two million people. Odd. And so they come here, and half the tribes get on one mountain, Mount Gerizim, and they pronounce all the blessings. If they follow God, they're going to be blessed. And if they don't, then they call out the curses. Must have been pretty scary calling out these curses. God, uh, this is what will happen if I don't follow your laws. And they agreed to that and said, yes, because we want to be blessed. And they were, they were keen for that. So they come in here. And Joshua built an altar there as well. Again, it's part of that, that covenant, committing it to the Lord. And so this is part of the entering into the promised land with that new generation. And so it's against that covenant commitment is in there. And uh, Joshua then takes them in. And we know that um, he has various victories, doesn't he? And um, he goes in there. And it says, you know, Israel served the Lord throughout the time of Joshua and the elders who went through the time in the desert who walked with Joshua too. Did you know that Joshua means salvation? Yeah. Yehoshua in Hebrew, very, same, very similar to Yeshua, which is the name of Jesus. And so the name of Jesus means salvation. And effectively, same for the name of Joshua. Just a slight difference, like John, Jonathan. They're the same names. It's the same kind of idea. And so Joshua is meant to be bringing salvation. And God has said, I want you to go into this land. Okay, and this is part of his deliverance, isn't it? But he said there's going to be a judgment happening. And we touched on the other week that salvation and judgment are closely linked. When we talk about the gospel, when we accept the gospel, we're asking God to judge us now. And so God has to do this because there's a lot of wickedness going on in there. So they get in there and everything goes pretty well under Joshua's leadership. Well, what happens? Joshua dies. And so then we get into a really dark period. It doesn't take long for the people to start slipping back into, into wrong ways. Has anyone read the book of Judges? Yeah. What's your favourite story in there? Tip Pig <laughs> with Jet Jael. That's right. Uh, the Battle of Mount Tabor. Yeah. Thank you. 
But you've got, you got great stories like Gideon, don't you, and Samson. Jephthah. Jephthah. There are some quite great stories in there that we remember. Do you know what judges means? What are judges? A mediator, judge, yeah, so someone in leadership. But often God raised these people up as troubleshooters in one sense. So these judges are like troubleshooters. They come in when they've got a problem because there was no king. They sorted out the problem in that area. And there were often these judges were located in particular areas of the land, sorting out the problems there. And so um, God kept raising them up. And the thing is, God says, if you follow me, I'll bless you. If you don't, then you'll face hardship. And so the, one of the things we get in the, in the book of Judges very quickly is that cycle of sin and grace. Israel forgets God, they sin, and get into trouble. God judges, sometimes through other people, through famine, drought. And the, Israel, the people of Israel would then say, hey, sorry God, forgive us. And we're sorry. Have you ever done that? Prayed those prayers? Lord, I'm sorry. <laughs> Get me out of this situation. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. And so God provides, provides a troubleshooter, a judge. Gets them out of trouble. Peace comes back to the land. They can carry on living their lives again. And then what happens? They forget. And they sin again. And most of us probably be guilty of doing that at times. I know I've done that, Lord, help me get me out of this problem, and then I'll follow you. And um, God wants much more than that, doesn't he? And I think often in some of the war situations, many people said when they're in the, in the trenches, you know, they'll say, Lord, I'll follow you if you get me out of this war situation, um, because it's going to be pretty terrifying. And so we have this situation going on here in Israel, just constant cycle over many, many decades. And um, one of the catchphrases in the book of Judges is, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did what they saw fit. That reminds us, remember we talked about at the fall? We talked about the kingdom of God, kingdom of Satan, and the kingdom of self. And all the conflict in the world happens because of the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of self. We want to set up our own kingdoms and do what we want. And that's where the conflict comes, because we all want to do things our way. And conflict, whether it's in a family, friends, in a group, in a nation, because we want things our way. And so that's been, and that's what happens here, is that they all want to do things their way. And that's the story of judges. But there's a um, thing in here, if we went back to the, the fall, at the time of, um, of, of Satan deceiving Adam and Eve. Um, there's a hint there that God's going to provide a solution. Remember that we talked about that in the second week too at the fall? And there's this um, verse at the end of Genesis in which uh, Jacob is blessing his various uh, descendants. And he says that the, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. And this has been told to Jacob, just from, out of Israel. Israel has got no power in the world. And so there's been this, this promise, and no one quite knew how that was going to uh, unfold. 
but they're expecting some kind of king. Who was really meant to be king in Israel? God. That's right. And that's why after Joshua, they simply have judges where they need them. Because the tribe's supposed to submit to God and let God bless them and rule over them. And so they have this. And so they, the people start looking around. People go around and they look at the other nations. They've got kings. We want to be like the other nations. We want a king who will solve all our problems. You know, we have a good leader. We get excited when we have general elections, don't we? Hey, we're going to have a new leader. Everything's going to be fine, isn't it? You heard that? Next election. Opposition saying we're, we're the, the uh, solution to all the problems. Vote for us and everyone's going to be happy. Isn't it? And so they're, they're really um, wanting to be like those other nations. They start looking at the other nations all got kings instead of prime ministers. And they want a king instead of God. To be like the other nations. Rather than a king under God. Which is what they're... they're. And so they plead that this time there's a prophet called Samuel. Remember Samuel? He's that famous story with the young boy. God speaks to, grows up, and his words never fall to the ground. And so they keep nagging Samuel, we want the king, we want the king. And so what happens? God gives them a king. And they nag, nag, nag. And um, Samuel tells them the consequences. You have a king? What's the price? He'll take your sons and daughters, stick your sons in the army, you'll pay taxes to the kings, you know, all with the best crops of your land, I'll get the choice, the choice bits. And um, they, what do they say? We want a king. And so God says, when you're unhappy, when you start crying, don't come to me. <laughs> and so there are some prayers that God says, I won't listen to you. Because I've given you what you've asked for. You know, and uh, God was so patient with them. And, um, but they still kept pestering. It's interesting. It says here, in, just at the end, when they said, we want a king. And uh, it says um, in 1 Samuel 12, 17 to 18, it is not the wheat harvest now. Is it not the wheat harvest now? I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain. And you will realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. And then Samuel called on the Lord, and that same day the Lord sent thunder and rain. So all the people stood in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. It rains all the time, doesn't it? You get thunder and lightning. Why were the people in awe of God, do you think? A lot worse than ordinary rain. It's a pretty big storm. Yeah, out of season. If you if you live in the Middle East, well, you know that between April and, and September, October, how much rain is there? No rain. The wheat harvest is around June. Right, smack in, smack in the middle. And what happens? It rains. You don't get rain in June in Israel. And that's showing God's displeasure at what they've asked for. 
and that's why it's standing all on. So sometimes it's helpful to understand those kind of things in the background that tells us that God was actually angry. He does something out of season to show his displeasure with them. But the people keep saying, we want a king. And so God gives them a king, doesn't he? Who did he give? Yeah, poor old soul. Yeah. And uh, that very soon didn't go too well. What was the problem with Saul? Pride. 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 Yep. Anything else? At the beginning, he was quite small in his own eyes, wasn't he? At the beginning. When he turned away from God. When he turned away from God. Yeah. So God gave Saul some commands, and Saul was fearful because he was more fearful of the people than of God, and he disobeys God and doesn't do them. And the interesting thing as well is that um, Saul builds himself a monument to himself before he ever builds anything <laughs> to God. And you discover that in some of the passages. And in one sense, Saul, I see him as, as being the top dog. And he built a monument to himself. And so, um, these all go very wrong. And so God says, I've sent my regrets, Saul became king. He doesn't do what I ask him to. And uh, he puts his monuments up to himself. And so, I guess everyone is famous with David. I guess most people in the world know, you know some of the biblical um, scriptures. You know, like David, David and Goliath. But it's common language, isn't it? It's so familiar. We talk about you know, David and Goliath is, it could be like a football match or a rugby match in the top team and a lesser team. And so God, God, God chooses David, anoints him, and is life great for David after that? What happens to David after he is anointed? He flees away. He fights, fights Goliath. So a bit of glory there, isn't there? So David's at a pinnacle. And what happens after that? Saul hates him, jealous of him. And so David becomes what is a fugitive, doesn't he? That must be pretty hard and having to hide out everywhere. And this is one of David's psalms while he's um, uh, a fugitive from Saul who's trying to kill him. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. So David's really suffering out there, and he's out there for quite some time. Out there in the desert, hiding, and under constant fear. And in fact, David gets so fearful, where does he flee to? Before he does that, he, goes to flip out. he had a period where he goes over to the Philistines. And it's funny. Even though people like Abigail, Jonathan, Saul, all say, God has anointed you, you're going to be the king. Even his enemy knows it. David still gets into a position where he panics and gets down. We all can get down sometimes. You know, God has promised us something. And everything seems to be going opposite that. You felt like that? Yeah. You know, well, God, what are you doing? Sometimes God promises us something, but we really feel that God has spoken to us, but the opposite starts happening. 
yeah. And that's kind of the, that challenge. And so David goes there. So he goes through a lot of suffering and rejection before he's crowned king. You know, from a teenager um, uh, up until his, I think he's 30 odd, I think, became king. So he, um, he has a, a, a real challenge and living under that constant fear of God, where are you? What are you doing? most trusting of God and he saw God protect, protecting him and his his faith grew like when he became king he really stepped up pretty much after that it was during that wilderness time that he was um, he was um, he trusted God he didn't kill Saul when he had a chance that's right yeah have you ever experienced that what, what Karen is sharing that when you're in a trial Life is going difficult, sometimes a job situation, work, family, is that sometimes we become so stressed, frustrated, we press really into God, and we groan in those times. No? Want to pray, want to read the Bible, want to get support from other people. Thinking about God all the time, Lord, how do I help me? Outworking so that his heart is fully because you know we can have we can still rely on self even though we think it's God. But I oh know I'm just asking is that probably why suffering is part of this journey that we all go through to, to get to remove like self not not remove our personality character but self so that we when you do walk in the calling that um nothing kind of sort of taints your trust in God despite all I, I don't know I'm just Exactly. What do people say? Preachers, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, so what I wanted to say is arrogance comes very quickly. And if you start to become successful, um, pride comes into the heart of man. We are born like that's part of our fallen nature. And when pride starts to kind of the, the man inside of us think, oh, I can do it all myself. I don't need anything. And that's when we come down to earth with a bang. <laughs> So whether we, we yeah, whether we like it or not, actually, these are the times. These are the times that David grew the most, and it's the times that often we grow the most. But everything's going well, you know, life is well, you know, jobs going well, relaxed, getting to a lot of the leisure things we enjoy. Is it easy to forget about God? It is, isn't it? It's quite part of our, our nature, and so. Um, that was, a, that was a challenge for the David and the kings, too, because um, we know what happened to David when he did become king, the famous story there. And so, um, okay, yeah, just before we go on to the next one, just think of David for a moment. When, what was David's worst moment? With Bathsheba. Mm. That's right. He, he committed adultery and then murdered Bathsheba's husband when she became pregnant. And, uh, and uh, you know, how can God choose someone like that? Would we choose someone like that? Little, As a leader? Little on the word says that David was a man after God's heart. Mm. That's right. The things he's done, you think. <laughs> I know. He was seriously repenting. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then that's kind of David was quick to repent, wasn't he, when he was confronted. Adam and Eve, on the other hand, tried to hide, didn't they? Right from the beginning. And so um, it, David was, was quick to repent. But what was he doing the night he saw Bathsheba? He's wandering around. Where was all his army? They were out fighting. Where was David supposed to be? With the army. Life was a bit cushy. Do I really need to go out? I've won so many victories now. I don't really need to go out. I'll, I'll hang out at home. And he's got a number of wives. And um, obviously didn't, didn't, wasn't interested in any of those that particular night. He's walking on his, his rooftop and he sees Bathsheba. Across, and then the rest is, is history, as we say. But he was bored, got relaxed, and so so easy for those things to let our guard down when things are going all right, and David lost sight, and so it's, it's sobering for us too. But in the midst of all that, David repents, and there's hope because God makes a covenant with him. Um, and he said, I'll be um, his father, and um, he will be your son. Hang on, the way um, We might just read some of those verses from 1, 1 Samuel. Uh, so 2 Samuel 7. I've got any um, volunteers just to read some of those verses. Um, what are the verses we're going to read? From 1 to 17. Any volunteers to read? Grace, did you want to read some? Uh, yep, yeah, which one? Uh, do, do you want to read just uh, verses 1, 1 to 10 and then someone else can just read the rest? Now when the king dwelt in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies about, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, who I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? There, now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be a prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make you a great name like the names of the great ones of the earth and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they might dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly Julie do you want to read? and I have done Ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel, I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. 
when, when your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, uh, who will become, or sorry, who will come from, his, from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men and with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, who I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of his entire revelation. So, yeah, again, this is the whole theme of, of covenant. Is when God is promising something to David, again, he uses that covenant, covenant commitment. And that's why we can have confidence in who God is and what he's saying, because he's reliable. God doesn't break his covenants. And so, let's look on here. Some questions on here. Just you know, as we went through that, there was probably three different stages in that narrative. Can you just, just highlight those? So, right at the beginning, in um, verses five to seven, what does, um, yeah. Did God ever ask for a house to be built? No. So God had lived out in the tabernacle, tabernacle that picture we saw already. God's presence had rested over, the, over that. God had never asked for a temple to be built. And so what does he say in verses 8 to 11 about David, David's descendants? David and his, and his descendants. Uh, yes, that's right. So David's descendants are going to be blessed. That's right. And then there's a final thing there, isn't there? Um, a third message from like verses 11 to 16. The house and kingdom will continue for all time and be, the throne will be secure. Yeah, an everlasting kingdom, is it? It's talking. So you must have someone who can be everlasting to rule over that. And so yeah, God says, I don't need, need a temple. Never asked for one. But I love your heart in that. And God, had, uh, David had a good motive for wanting to honour God. You know, and um, sometimes we can, um, it's just easy just to neglect God, isn't it? And just think about our own homes and our own comforts. And um, you know, part of, you know, the, the, the church buildings aren't, aren't, um, uh, aren't the church, it's the people. But sometimes our heart and attitude, how, how we think of God, sometimes how we value the places where we gather. And that's an important thing. So they want to be able to gather and, and bless the Lord. And uh, there's this, this, this covenant thing here as well. There's going to be an everlasting kingdom. David's just blown away. You can't believe it. So if you read some of the prayers after that from David, just so grateful. Who am I you know, that you would do this for me? And so 
we have this covenant making God promising to David that God will make that happen. And then again, this goes back to Abraham. We saw that sacrifice. God goes through the animals and saying, um, I will provide when you mess up. And on Mount Moriah, where Abraham was with Isaac, in the place where that happens, the Lord says, I will provide. Mm. And again, this is an echo of those themes running through God's covenant commitment. And here's another building block to that, a foundation that God is moving forward specifically now with one line. And that just brings us confidence. Um, I might just leave those um, ones more. And so, to David's credit, he gets everything ready to build the temple. David's not upset that he can't be the one to build the temple. Do you know why David wasn't allowed to build the temple? He shed a lot of blood. He was a warrior. God says, you're not doing that. And so he says, your son is going to do that. And uh, so David does as much as possible to make that easy for Solomon, his son, to build this temple. Uh, and this is really the great example here of now God's kingdom here in Israel, reaching its pinnacle under Solomon. So God's people, Israel, they're living in God's place, the promised land of Israel, and they're being exceedingly blessed. And uh, we know from history, one of the reasons well, well, the, uh, from history, at times when nations are very prosperous and peaceful, is when we have a rise in the number of poets, artists, Start, start doing start doing all these things because there's no threat of war. People can indulge in some of these creative gifts. And it's from this period, Solomon writes Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, and you see that because there's peace and prosperity allows those conditions. So it's a really blessed time. And this is the peak of Israel living under God's blessing. The borders are pushed out, God's protecting them. Everything seems fine, doesn't it? Mm. Looks really good. And, and uh, they, you think they've, they've reached God's promise? And it says in there, all of God's promises up to that point have been fulfilled. And so, do we wanna do this? Yeah, and I guess when we think about this, this that last, last um, um, promise of an everlasting kingdom, we then look forward just to the New Testament because we think, well, in all these scriptures, Jesus is about, isn't he? So what does Matthew one one tell us about how Jesus fits this promise that God made to David? Yeah, the very first words. Of the New Testament start the genealogy of who the Jesus Christ and the son of David and Abraham 
the promise to Abraham, covenant promise, covenant promise through David. It's, you know, so the Messiah, this king, has to be a descendant of one of those. And that's really important. What about Mark 12, 35, 37? Maybe someone can do that. Elaine, did you want to just find, um, or do you, or you can get the next one, John 2, 18, 22? Do you want to find John 2, 18, 22? Alana, did you want to do Romans 1, 4? Romans 1, 1 to 4? Who would like to do Matthew 12, 35? Listen. A good man out of a good treasure of his heart brings forth good. Is it Mark? Mark, yeah. Mark, Mark 12, 35. Oh. Yeah. It's right another Bible again. <laughs> Later, as Jesus was teaching um, the people in the temple, he asked, Why do your teachers of religious laws claim that the Messiah is the son of David? For David himself, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. Since David himself called the Messiah, my Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? The large crowd listened to him with great delight. Thanks, Vic and Foster. So, how? How can. David's son be greater than David. John, you have to John The Jews then responded to him, um, "What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this?" Jesus answered them, "Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days." They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days. Um, but the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Thanks, Elaine. So talking about another temple. <coughs> And the temple was was Jesus' body, yes, that's right. But they didn't get it at the time, did they, the disciples, as Elaine read. Are you ready for the last one, Alana? Romans 1, 1 to 4. And this letter is from Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line, and he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Pretty amazing verses, those, those first verses of Romans. It's a real picture of Jesus, doesn't it? Who is he? Who's Jesus? Son of David? Son of God? There's two nature. So, what does... So I keep going to that speaker. The, the son of David. Who is the son of David? 
Solomon, yeah. So everyone in Jesus, when Jesus was walking through the Gospels, they keep calling him the son of David. You are the son of David. What do they mean? I mean, uh, descendant. Descendant, yeah. Son of David. David's son. And who was David's son? As a descendant. Who else was David's son? Solomon? What does Solomon mean? Peace. The name Solomon means peace. So the son so David couldn't build the temple. Why? He was a warrior. Your son will do it. He's a man of peace. So Solomon is called, his name means peace. And so the son of David wasn't coming as a warrior at the time of Jesus. He was coming as what? A man of peace. He was the son of David. He was coming like Solomon. Solomon was the son of peace and they misunderstood that because the Israelites were expecting, the Jewish people were expecting a warrior as a son of David and yes Jesus is going to return as king but his first coming was as a son of David a son of peace like Solomon and the Jewish people didn't get that because there's this there's, there's, you know, they read in the scriptures, there's this suffering servant kind of figure. And there's this kingly figure. And they were trying to work out what those were like. But Solomon, at the height of the Israelite kingdom, is the king of peace. The king of shalom. And that's what Jesus comes to do. He comes to bring us peace. Peace with God. And why we were still your enemies. Jesus died for us. Reconcile us to bring us peace. And so in essence, Jesus was not like the David warrior figure. He was the man of peace, bringing peace with God. And that was his mission. And that was his purpose. And I guess if we had been in that situation, would we have grasped that? Who knows? But uh, good chance we, we wouldn't have done. Because they were so desperate at the time. Because of the pressure from the Romans. Life was hard. Difficult. We want to be liberated. We don't want peace. Well, peace comes through the destruction of the Romans. Which is the way they saw it. And said, no, the peace you need first. Peace with God. And through that, we'll get peace of us. And so... This all happens because God is a covenant God. And that is one of the keystones of the Bible. God does not break his promises. So you know, we'll probably pick up on that next time round as well because we'll see, we'll see what happens when the Israelites start breaking their promises. And does that mean God breaks his promises because people are unfaithful? Yeah. If we were living in that environment, do you think any of us would have managed to um, avoid 
breaking any laws in the days of the Israelites? No. No. And so that's kind of the, the challenge. But here we see, you know, Jesus says, I'm throughout the whole Bible. You read the Old Testament. You're reading about me. And understanding covenant is so important that people wonder about. You know, is, will God change his mind about us? Some people think God changed his mind about Israel. I think he changed his mind about Israel because he changed his mind about the church. That's pretty good next week, so I'm pretty good ahead of myself. Um, and so um, there is, a, as we read, this is what I, I, I find quite interesting as well. There is another king whose kingdom is everlasting, and some of the Jewish people did actually get it. Okay, and uh, here, this is uh, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant David, fulfilling covenant promise. Luke 9.22 And Jesus says, Son of man must suffer many things and be rejected. He must be killed on the third day, raised to life. So here's the anointed king, Jesus. Isn't he? But he's going to suffer rejection, like David, before he comes into his majestic reign. And so it's uh, interesting, if you look at the prayers of Mary, mother of Jesus, I think it's Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, is when Jesus is born, what covenant do they appeal to that God is answering? The covenant with Abraham. You are fulfilling your covenant to Abraham. So if you read that, that, that bag, uh, the, um, with Mary's prayer, I don't know if you want to read that quickly now, just, just to highlight that as we just come to an end, but just to... Maybe just highlight that. This is in, in um, Luke. And so, yes, uh, you know, the beautiful prayer from Mary, my soul glorifies the Lord, is one, Luke one forty seven. My spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. And then we go down uh, to verse 54. It says, He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful, um, to Abraham and his descendants forever. This is Mary. She's going back to the Abrahamic covenant. And I think it was um, John the Baptist. Where is it? Not sure that is um, Zechariah. Where is it? Um, in Zechariah's song. And so, yeah, Zechariah's song, one. 171, to say, for example. This is, sorry, 69. So this is uh, Luke 1:69. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from, all the, from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham. So these majestic prayers at the opening of the New Testament are remembering God's covenant with Abraham. So this is foundational in our confidence in our relationship with God, is that God is a covenant-making, a covenant-keeping God. And that's why we can trust him.
because God doesn't break his promises. And we'll pick up on that. So just, just really beautiful that they don't mention Moses here. Because that covenant with Moses was not appropriate for that. Because the covenant of Abraham was an unconditional covenant. And so just, uh, yeah. And so just, just before we wrap up again, when, um, again, this thing about the son of David, the son of God, you know, when Jesus, just before he dies, as well as the whole point when the high priest is saying, who are you? Tell us if you're the Messiah, the son of God. And Jesus quotes from the book of Daniel. You'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One coming on the clouds of heaven. Again, they understood that. He's talking about he is the Son of David and the Son of God. And so Jesus uses that picture where the Son of Man comes and sits at the right hand of the Father. So just really, really important. This is seeing all of that fulfilled. Okay. And then... It's the change here is again God's covenant. It'll be Jesus. He's the one who will build the house for my name, and I will establish His throne, His kingdom forever. And so, as we go through this story of God's kingdom, God's people, God's place, God's rule and blessing, God's people. But right now, in this part of the story, are the Israelites living in the land of Israel, and now they're here. They've got God's law, the law of Moses. I'll be, God, I'll be your God, you'll be my people. And they now have a king. And so that is King Solomon at the peak of the kingdom. And that's as good as it gets. And so we'll see that some of that slippery slope going downwards. But in the midst of that, because God's a covenant keeping God, even though the Israelites are sliding down, God has a plan in that and it's amazing so no matter how much they grumbled no matter no matter how much they messed up god was still faithful you know so if you're you know monday morning or during the week you feel that like you've really messed up fed up life's got a mess god was faithful to israel through all their mistakes and errors and we're actually in a greater covenant now through Jesus Christ, how much more can God help us when we mess up? And so that's the confidence we have in the great God. Really great. Anyone got any final comments, observations they'd like to share? Seems to me that. Um it seems to me that God's in, in the business of giving us a Bible and a sort of a unified set of works to try and bring us all to Him. And, and um, this, in this this part of the Bible, He's He's sort of like it says, that partial kingdom, um, partial kingdom of God. God's showing us what kingdom, how good His kingdom could be on earth. He's sort of part of the way there, and. Um, how much better it'll be when it um, is the the whole full thing, and uh, at the end, when he's the king, yeah. Okay. Someone like to close in prayer.
dear Lord and Heavenly Father, Lord, tonight we humbly bow down before you, a great and mighty God. We thank you that we can praise and worship you, glorify your name, the name above all names. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that every scripture verse can make a difference somewhere or another in our lives. It's got different meanings, but Lord, your covenant remains. It never changes. Your promises never change. And we thank you for that, Lord. Will you bless all of us now as we depart from here, Lord? We pray and ask for safe traveling mercies. And the rest of the week, Lord, be with everyone in their respective workplaces. Give them strength, protect them, and above all, Lord, help them to be a shining light in a dark place. And we thank you for that. Bless Richard and family as well, Lord. And help them also to always just bring the truth of the word. And we thank you for the truth because we know the truth will set us free. And we thank you for that as well. We ask all of this in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. And uh, we'll pick it up next week in the next uh, uh, session.